if you're visiting with us, we uh, a couple years ago decided to start reading through the word verse by verse every week. And uh, I debated on not having it read this morning because of it being a graduate service. And I know it may surprise some of you, but the Lord just happened to line up where a lot of what's in that chapter relates directly to a lot of words that God has for us as graduates, uh, those willing to go to the next level and whatnot. First, beginning with just the age of this guy is really close to some of our graduates. So he had a decision to make at an early age, whether he was going to be successful or not. And if you look at the title this morning, it says Guidelines for Success. Is there one of us in the room that doesn't want to be successful? And this isn't just for graduates, so don't you old people just stand there and look at me and think like I'm just talking to those that are like graduating high school and in college and getting ready to go to either work or getting ready to go to the next level of school or or whatnot. This is for all of us. Because shouldn't all of us be trying to strive to get to the next level of whatever it is God has for us? Am I right? If we've grown stagnant, there's probably a problem in our walk with the Lord. So yeah, specifically, yeah, this morning, if I call your name Stan, Peyton, Victoria, Chloe, Jason Ball Tournament, Jaden, Katie, Honorable mention, Charlene, even though it was a month early, a couple months early, six months early. And then they didn't even know it, but I think they're both in the back, so it doesn't matter. Beth and Caroline. Guys, as small as we are, we've got this many people graduating something and achieving something and getting ready to go to another level of something. Now that, that, and they're not all going to the same level. They're not all graduating from the same level. We've got graduations from high schools. And those that will go on to further education, those that will go on to the workforce, those that will go on to something else. We've got those that are graduating college that are choosing to go to college again. We've got those that are graduating with masters and, 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 and they're going into the next calling of their life. And my point is this. Every single one of us should be going into something new routinely. This shouldn't be just a once in a, in a lifetime kind of thing. We should be. Elevating ourselves to the next level. So you look around at these four, five, six that we have and a couple that are next door setting up for you guys. We're making some of the graduate graduates set up for you. But you look around and know like you did something to get them to this level. Maybe you weren't a parent, but you were a cheerleader from the sideline. Maybe you were a friend. Maybe you offered an encouraging word to, to mom, dad to, hey, keep kicking their butt. They need it. Maybe you kicked their butt because they needed it. Maybe you worked with them. Maybe you you just offered some advice to them. Maybe you just prayed for them. And I use all that to, to, to say it's not just a just thing. These are some of the most vital things that make it up. So you look at them and look at what you're responsible for. And then they look back at you. And that same guideline works for them. They can call on you guys, not as a sign of weakness, but as a sign of I trust in the word of the Lord, which tells me to reach out to the outstretched hands of the church and my spiritual leaders and my spiritual advisors for help when I need it. And the rest of us should be doing that same thing. Don't dare ever think of it as weakness when you need to reach out for help and none help, okay? So yeah, I'm talking to them, which you can sit now. We're going to feed you later and give you gifts and that'll be your important part. But guys, we we all ought to be striving for this kind of stuff. What, what I love is this, is we talk about going from one level to the next. Before we jump into 2 Kings 16 that Mike read, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, there's a group of people, perhaps you know them, they're by the millions, and they've been traveling the, the wilderness for a, a great length of time. And they've finally gotten to what you could call like the finish line for the next level. They've gotten to the next stage of, of where they're going. And I think they're much like a lot of our graduates, or maybe even us, or maybe even like Mitch said when we talk about studying scripture. We've got a lot of questions. We've got a lot of hopes. And we've got a lot of dreams. We've got a lot of ideas. And I love how God takes this group of people and right before they, they, they flip the tassel, we can call it for today. Right before they flip the tassel and become the, the, the valedictorian of those that crossed the wilderness, they got this guy Moses. And Moses is so different than all the other prophets. You know, God talks about talking to the prophets and, and speaking to them. And when it comes to Moses, he goes, I thought so highly of Moses that I talked to him face to face. So Moses has got this experience with God that he now has to pass on to the people. So I look around again at those who didn't stand and maybe those who are standing or, or, or did stand for, for the next level. What is your experience with God that you should be passing on to the next people? Moses has this experience and, and he's got this 
this graduation ceremony for the Israelites, I guess you could call it. And he, he tells them, he goes, guys, there's going to be a lot more battles ahead. Not, not exactly what you wanted to hear this morning, is it? You wanted to hear, like, this is it. You've achieved greatness. And, and like, no, there's way more battles that are ahead. But the promised land is also ahead. And as Moses talks to him and he tells them, you know, this thing right before they do flip the tassel, he says, before you go up there, you got to make up your mind when you get there that you're going to remember who got you there. And, of course, Moses isn't just talking about mama and daddy and friends and family. Moses is talking about the Lord and his leadership that has taken them this far. And the sad part is for God to have to sit down and have this one-on-one conversation with Moses to tell the people this reminds me of this, that, that God and Moses probably knew something about the people like your mom and daddy know about you. You have a tendency to forget to be grateful at moments you should be grateful. Some of you may have got the speech when you came in. Don't forget to say thank you for all the $100 bills you're going to get today. Don't forget to show appreciation. Some of you may be like my parents who would keep a list of all the people who sent you something. And then they would actually make you write an invitation saying thank you for these gifts. Now, at the high school level, understand me. At the high school level, you think this is horrible. I don't really want to do this. Why am I doing this? And then my mom has great words of wisdom. She says, because you may need to call on them for more money later. A good, honest answer by a good Christian woman, right? There may be a time where you need to ask for more money. So, so you write that, that letter of gratitude, how grateful you are for whatever they gave you. So that when it comes time again, you can say, hey, I'm graduating again. Or, hey, I'm getting married. Or, hey, I'm doing this. Or, hey, it's my birthday. Or, hey, I'm just a bum and need you to pay my bills. You know, whatever it is. But you do that. And I think a lot of us are just like these people in the wilderness. And God knew it. So God tells Moses, he goes, the very first thing you need to remind them is that they don't forget. Don't you dare forget where you came from. We, we said it a few weeks ago as we started working on our transition areas, which we've done a phenomenal job in the last 30 days of, of doing for, for different age groups and different people transforming from one, one level to the next level. And we said, unfortunately, part of the age group we lose the most is the area you guys who are graduating are in, whether it be high school, college, or whatnot. And, and, and when we lose that area, I think, like Moses' words, maybe something that could stop us from that is realizing where we've come from. Realizing the groundwork and the foundation that's been poured inside of us. Realizing that like these that have traveled the wilderness for 40 years, we need to stop letting our preferences cause us to miss God's provisions. What I mean by that is this. These people got yelled at by Moses because what they had been doing is God had been providing miraculous meals for them, miraculous cards in the mail for them. And they weren't grateful because it wasn't a $100 bill. It was a $20 bill. It wasn't a $100 bill. It was a $10 bill. It was just a note from somebody. It was just this. It was just that. And for them, it was, it was, man, we wanted this to eat or man, we wanted it at this time and not that time. And I think God in heaven was probably thinking you most ungrateful little, but I don't know if God thinks quite like I think. So maybe that's where he stopped. Right. They didn't like the way the food tasted. They didn't like the schedule and they complained about it. And Moses says to him this, sure, you're about to go to a better place and your best is yet before you. So on one hand, he's prophesizing the potential of the promised land. On one hand, we will prophesize the potential of whatever your next promised land level is. But he's also pointing out their tendencies that when they enter that, they sometimes forget the provider. You forget what got you to where you're at. You forget how hard it was for somebody else to work to get you there at some levels. And how often it was you had to rely on somebody else to get to that next thing. So as they make it through and as you've made it through maybe 12 years of school or 16 years of school, if you, if you graduate from college, Here's the good news. You're going to continue to face challenges. You're going to continue to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And it's not a light of hope. It's a train coming down the tunnel ready to hit you in the face. You encounter challenges. But here's the good news. Think of all the things you've accomplished so far. You came out of the womb. What a great accomplishment. Right? You've made it out of there. You've made it to life at one one, one, one stance. You learned how to walk. Right? Do we not think that less of, if your child wasn't walking, wouldn't there be like some kind of worry? You have accomplishment. You've learned how to talk. Some of you hadn't learned how to shut up. Huh? We've accomplished things. 
You've learned your ABCs and one, two, threes. You've learned math. You've learned, you've learned how to be a teenager. You've overcame puberty. Some of you. Some of you still haven't. Don't worry. Some of the adults still haven't either. Right? Think about accomplishments, man. You've learned to drive. Kind of. Right? You, you've accomplished great things. Now you're traveling in to the next level. And here's probably the greatest, most important question you could ask. And it's a question I think God and Moses were probably on terms with. And it's how can continued success be assured? What can I do to make sure I'm continuing to be a success? In, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 10, you see it on the screen. He says, when you eat and you're full, you will praise Yahweh your God for the good land that he's given you. You ever had your mom or dad, think back to when you were a little kid, don't even think about it right now. Your mom or dad tell you to tell somebody to tell them thank you for something? Give me an example of one. I'll stare at y'all longer and you'll stare at me, I promise. Like, I don't, I don't lose this match. Thank you for presents for your birthday. Now, when you hear that, isn't it common sense that you should be thankful for your presents? What else we got? Thanks for feeding me. Thank you, Angie, for cooking at my house while you're with us. We got some good meals, right? Now, doesn't it seem common sense that you should be grateful when your belly is full? What you got? For candy. Your mom's thinking right now, we got a dentist bill because of all this candy. <laughs> We're thankful for things, right? And, and why do we have to be reminded to be thankful for things that we like? That's that, To me, I read this and I'm like, man, Moses has gone back to the most basic instruction there is. But maybe that's what we all need is some basic instruction. He's telling them, guys, when you eat and you're full and your belly is stuffed and you're looking out at this land that God's given you, how about say thank you? We should not have to be reminded to say thank you. And you're thinking right now, and you're like, man, what does this have to do with a guideline for success? Adults only. Who would not want to work and hang out with more grateful people? If your hand is not up, you're going to hell. I said it, right? It's like included in, in, in that chapter somewhere where it lists all those other sins that are real bad, right? Who would not want to be around more grateful people? Your first tip for success, I'm serious. It took me forever to figure out what step one was. I knew what all the rest were. Like, God God gave me the rest fast, but I sat in that room. I called it the cave because I shut everything down and just go in there, and I'd come out. We even had a, a tree chopping down break yesterday to try to you know rejuvenate something and, and get it going. And then it hit me. I'm like, we, we just ought to be more grateful for, like, little things. You guys, if you would be more grateful, how much better your lives could be, right? That level of appreciation. I think the problem is sometimes we worry so much about getting to the next level of accomplishment, the next level of, 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 of gifts, the next level of this. I think if we would just get to the next level of appreciation, it would change our outlook on stuff. It would totally change how we handle stuff. Because here's the truth. If you grow, and I think this is what Moses is getting with these guys. If you grow in gifts but don't grow in gratitude, what have you really gained? Meaning this, that if God gives it to you but you don't know what to do with it, are you really going to be happy? There's so many at different stages where we pray and we ask for certain stuff. And I really believe that if God was to give you the stuff you were asking for at the level you're at right now, you wouldn't even know what to do with it. There's going to be a stage for many of you graduates where, where real soon, your parents are probably thinking much further along, but real soon it's going to happen, I promise. You're going to start praying and asking for a spouse. Bring me the man of my dreams. Bring me a woman who can cook and clean. And whatever your dream is, I don't know. Right? But you're going to start wishing for that. I think if God was to give it to you right now, you wouldn't know what to do with it. I think there's some adults in here where if God was to give you what you were asking for, you wouldn't know what to do with it. It wouldn't make you happy because you'd be lost. Right? Think about this stuff. Happy people aren't the ones who have the best things. They're the ones who make the best of everything. How many people you know who have nothing but are thrilled in life? And how many people you know that got a lot and just miserable, grumpy, you never want to be around them? Who wouldn't want to be around more grateful people? Number one guideline to success, be grateful. A command to action, by the way. He's telling them, I want you guys to start practicing gratitude. Gratitude is not a natural thing. If you don't believe that, 
Ask your parent how you were when you were two years old and they were feeding you. You weren't grateful. You weren't happy for the meal. You complained. You spit it out. You made a mess. You threw stuff all over. You were an annoying little brat. But they continued to feed you because they loved you and they cared about you. So God, God does the same thing with us. He goes, I want you to be more grateful. But sometimes there's no gratitude. So here's the greatest. Here, here's one of the first things I want you to tell him, Moses. Now, don't get me wrong. He goes through a whole spill in the beginning about following commands, which goes back to your groundwork. But he says the first thing I want them to do when they realize and their bellies are full and the land is awesome is just say thanks. Is that so hard to just say thanks? We don't so much want to know if you have a grateful heart. One of you got grateful habits. My, my favorite thing now is this new style. Have you guys seen the new style where everybody's wearing athletic wear? I mean, everybody it doesn't matter. You, if you got any social media, every advertisement is athletic shorts or yoga pants and, and all this kind of stuff, right? Here's the problem. You put on all the yoga pants you want to put on and you can look all the yoga you want to look. But if I was to call on you to do a headstand or anything else of those yoga moves, I bet none of us could do them in here. Am I right? And kids are the same way. And you young people, we, we, we buy the greatest shoes. What? So we can brag about you got the greatest shoes? Those shoes were made to run. Get out there and move in them. Oh, my new, my new favorite thing since we in the South, thank God I'm with you, right? We buy the greatest work boots. But we don't get them dirty. What the heck's the point of buying an awesome pair of work boots if you're just going to wear them and brag about how good they look? They're made to work, man. Just because you own the product doesn't mean you know how to use the product. Is it not the same way with God and his blessing sometimes? You know you ought to be grateful, but if you're not practicing gratefulness, what good is it? The Bible teaches something so powerful. It says this, it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. How many of you are saying so when you're the redeemed? I mean, really? How many of you, how many of you just assume somebody else knows that you think they did a good job? Maybe we can transition from, from, from to, to the adults for just a minute. How many relationships would be better if you were grateful to your spouse? Instead of just, well, they know I love them. We've been together 40 years. Yeah, she's been miserable for 39 of them, though. Right? Let's up it a little bit, man. If you're grateful, say so. That's what it says. Don't make people try to read your mind. You think these ladies sing good? Tell them they sing good. They don't practice because, well, they do practice because they enjoy it. So I guess that doesn't work for them. But they'd still like to be told how good they sound, right? You think somebody's hair looks nice? Tell them, man. You think their dress looks good? Tell them. On the flip side, if they look like an idiot, keep it to yourself. Right? It's basic. Gratitude. I, I really don't understand how some people can come to church and sit with their arms crossed and be miserable the whole time. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, you, you've come. Moses is talking to these people. He says, you guys have come this far. You've come to the table that's been feeding you with, with, with his faithfulness. And yet you act like you're dead, right? And, and he tells them, I want you to thank, thank them for, and, and I wish it would stop right there with just like some dot, dot, dots. I don't know if Moses and, and, and back then when they wrote scripture, if they did that, but it ought to be thank them for. What is your thing you're thanking them for? Right? I was so thankful yesterday just for, for, for a wife that understood when I was at a, she calls it writer's blog, but we all know I can't write. So we call it sermon blog at my house, right? Like, like just that moment where I was, I was, well, there's nothing. I'm grateful for a wife that encouraged me to keep on seeking out what it is. And I'm grateful for one that won't cut me short either. And won't cut God short because I asked her, I said, hey, do I just do a graduation speech or do I try to get this chapter in as well? And she goes, what did the Lord tell you to do? I don't need that spiritual answer. I needed an answer at the moment. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want a holy roller coming up in here, but. Sometimes what I want isn't exactly what I need. She gave me what I needed. Right? And then the Lord paved, paved the way. What are you thankful for? He goes through this list at the, at the beginning. You guys ought to go back and read Deuteronomy 8 and 9 this week. He goes back and he gives us, you ought to be grateful for the water that's just flowing through the streams. How many of y'all cut on your water this morning and took a shower and was grateful water came out? How many of you would have complained if it was cold water instead of warm water when you took that shower? But did you, did anybody say, oh God, thank you, this water is warm? Anybody? Anybody grateful for their cup of coffee this morning? Huh? Did you tell the Lord? Did you tell your spouse who made it for you? 
And if right now you're a spouse that didn't make it for your spouse, you should feel bad. That's why I gave it as an example. Right? What, what, I mean, what are you thankful for? Graduates, was you thankful for that first car mom and dad got you? Was you thankful to at least let you get a license and maybe help with some insurance? Was you thankful for the tank of gas? Was you thankful to the teacher who taught you something? Was you thankful that they let you retake the test you failed so mom and dad didn't know about it? I knew about it. I know you didn't know I knew, but I knew about it, right? I've been there a couple times, right? Perhaps happiness isn't just about the, the accumulation of stuff. Perhaps it's about the appreciation of stuff. And as Moses goes through this thing, man, I would have never even thought. And, and then when I, when I look at it, it's just so obvious. My favorite holiday is Thanksgiving. It's commanded by Scripture and it's got a lot of food involved. So like, that's just two things. That's all you need, right? But you know what breaks my heart is before Thanksgiving's over, you got the ads of everything that you can get for Christmas already coming to you. We don't even get one day to be completely grateful without having this thing in front of us where we just want more and we want more and we want more and we want more. What if your parents just went and took a picture of all the crap they bought you that you haven't used more than like 10 times and they just wrapped it in a book and gave it to you this Christmas? Doesn't that sound good, parents? That was your opportunity to amen. You didn't amen it, so you can't do it. Right? What do we say? If somebody's preaching good, you ought to tell them, right? So you ought to amen the Lord on that one, right? God is gracious. You, 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 here, this is going to come up in a minute, but this is just too good, right? God being gracious. You know the electric company is gracious. They want you to appreciate them every month. See, some of y'all don't know this. Wait, where's my ones going, going where they're going to start paying their own bills? Only one of them. Your parents of the rest suck. You know what I'm saying? You're not training them upright. Right? For this one that's about to start paying her bills, the electric company, they're gracious. They want you to appreciate them every month. But if you forget a month, they're so gracious, they'll send you a letter in the mail. It's called a letter of past due notification. And you've got X amount of days to appreciate them, or you will lose the power that you thought you deserved to have. Is that not gracious? They don't have to send that letter. They could have cut it off at the beginning. They are gracious. What What if God's got you here this morning before I get back into our chapter? What if God's got you here this morning to let you know your, your praise bill's past due? What if it's that you've got no power to get? It takes power to get to the next level, doesn't it? Any, 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 any like stair climbers up in here? Just when you go to your apartment. Well, if you want to go home, you got to climb the stairs, right? And stairs going down. I don't know if I'd go to those all the time. I would just stay at the top. You, you, ever, you ever had to climb stairs on get to next? Have you ever climbed mountains and hills and stuff? You ever, you ever did any of that kind of stuff? You ever, how about our middle schoolers that just took that, that trip? Right? Was it, was it, was it some work involved? Man, you looked like you were about to die when you got home. Right? Eight of them huffing and puffing like it was the end of the world. I'm so sore. I can't do it anymore. Right? That was a South Carolina hill. You got to get out of this state before you can get to some mountains, right? What if God is telling us? What, what if this is your past due notification and God is saying straight up, like you don't have the power to get to the next level because you ain't been paying your praise bill? What if your praise is directly related to your power and you got no power because you ain't got no praise? I can use ain't because my wife's picking up y'all's chicken. She don't know I'm using bad English, right? Like what? Think about it. Think about this tie and how directly related it could be. Well, what if God's whole point this morning is if you want the power, then you got to give me some praise. If you need more power to get to that new level, maybe you're falling short because you don't have the power. I mean, I got news for you. I said it a few minutes ago. Conflicts ain't going to stop. But just because you graduate, and this is just like, this is the floor, and then you got another floor to go and another floor to go. I tell the boys all the time, like the floor of this is the ceiling of what you overcame. And we're going to keep on going. You know what I'm saying? Like like that ceiling is just going to be the floor of my next level. And, and my next level, my next level, we're going to keep on going. Right? Now, I don't mean that to be as negative as it sounds, but what I mean is this. There's going to be difficulties and problems in life. Expect them and embrace them. Because those are the things you can learn the greatest lessons from. Maybe today's obstacles are preparing you for tomorrow's 
opportunities, right? How much muscle did they build going across the wilderness? Think about it. Walking through sand and traveling through this and learning that food ain't always going to be there every moment of every day, but it will be there when you need it. And climbing this rock and and going through this stream and and all that kind of stuff, right? They was building muscle. But they needed muscle because what was the first thing they did when they got into the promised land? They got in a fight. And if you ain't got no muscle when you get in a fight, you're going to get your hiney kicked. Right? Let the obstacles for today prepare you for opportunities of tomorrow. They were building their muscles so they could take on what it was next, right? And a lot of times, it's not going to be this big outer conflict like a, like a war and a battle that we talk about. More often than not, it's going to be small inner battles. But but hear me, hear me, young people. If you win the small battle often, then you'll win the big battle when it comes. But vice versa is true. If you keep losing small battles, you're usually going to lose the big battle. It's what it's what we've seen with with our, our struggle through kings. And in Deuteronomy chapter nine, right after this commencement speech, uh, he goes into this warning of chapter nine about self righteousness. He goes, "It's going to be easy when you guys get there to think you did it all on your own to be self righteous." It's going to be easy to forget about your family and your time that, you know, y'all were together and how they molded you and how they shaped you and how you helped them. Right. We know we know some brats like that, do we not? Call it like it is. Right. So. So I I love how God lined up chapter two of 16 where we normally be today. And here it is. Guideline number two. You got to avoid compromise. That's what Moses is really getting at in chapter nine of Deuteronomy. He's telling him you got to avoid the compromise. And that's that's Ahaz's problem. In this chapter, look back at 16, verse 2. Said he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord. This is probably the worst king of Judah, by the way. I mean, we're not going to go into him long, but he is he's just a loser. Right. And it starts off by telling us this. And, and here's what I think. for months. Us as a church, verse after verse, chapter after chapter, we've been watching this downward spiral. He was good. He was good, but he was kind of good, but he still, you remember all, all, all the, all the butts we didn't like? You know, they were stinky butts. No good, right? So, so go chapter after chapter, watching this downward spiral, continual decline in this wording. And now we finally get, because no one ever decided to stand up and stop the fall that had gotten, we hit rock bottom and we get a guy who said he, he just didn't do any good. I hope we as a generation ahead of you guys, are standing up in the gaps and making sure you know to raise the bar. And if we aren't, because there's a lot of kings before this guy that didn't, then I hope you guys are going to. Because we didn't doesn't mean you don't have to. Right? Verse 3, it gets even worse. It says that he walked in the ways of Israel. Now that's the northern kingdom that we know is all pagan worshiping, right? So he's not only rejecting the godly heritage of David for his own people, he's embracing ungodly ways. Something, unfortunately, I hate to say some churches have allowed to happen. We, we not only got away from one, we're now embracing some of the good stuff the world brings in in an ugly way. And then it goes even deeper, man. Hear this. And, and maybe maybe some great advice, maybe like a, a, a guideline for success 2.5. Be careful who you choose to follow and be like. Because here's what happens when you start following the ways of the ungodly. It says in the rest of verse 3, it's on the screen, but he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He even made his son pass through the fire. Now, that ain't no fancy way of writing. He killed his kid. He now is following this, this participation of the worship of Malik, a pagan god. And part of this worship, understand this now, here's the history. When this god was worshipped, it was by heating a metal statue representing the god until it was red hot. Then you placed a living infant and outstretched hands in the statue and then, so it didn't sound too cruel, stay with me, they would beat the drums as loud as they could so they didn't hear the screams of the child. Now, we think it's all disgusting and so bad, and I watched every single one of your faces change, and half of you are wondering, do you understand this is graduation day? I do. So here's my worry. Are we beating drums so loud that we're not hearing the screams of the generations coming up? And it makes you feel good. Because you don't hear them whining. So if you don't hear it, it's easy to ignore it. Maybe it's time to quit beating drums for pointless reasons. And start listening to what they're saying. Not to undermine 
any graduate. But and, and some teachers may be able to relate more to what I'm about to say than anybody else and some parents that have been there. But I'm going to tell you right now, not to undermine any of you, I swear. But the one that's graduating at the top of the class and going on to the fancy college, high school was kind of easy for them, to be quite honest. The one that was a superstar in sports, they've lived their prime, unfortunately, sometimes. You find you a youth that struggled, that could barely make it, that went through maybe levels of depression, that, that struggled with grades, that, that wasn't the cool kid, that wasn't the, the most popular. That kid, when they accomplished it, not that they accomplished something greater than anybody else. I understand it, right? But for them, that's next level. And you can beat your drums and make all the noise you want to make, church. But there's a generation out there that's whining and screaming and yelling for help. And you've got a choice. You can keep on beating drums just like Ahaz did and sacrifice these kids. Or we can refuse to start following the way of the world and we can get back to what God told us to do and we can instill in them a groundwork that when trouble does come, they know how to withstand it and they know how to stand up and they will be courageous and they will make it. And that's on us. And maybe on you for your next level. I don't know, right? When we get here today and these get great accomplishments, this is not the finish line. Any parent, any friend that tells you this is the finish line, they're full of crap. So parents, hear me right now. Did you want to put forth all this work? Y'all ain't going to tell me it wasn't no work. Mine ain't even but in middle school and it's been work, right? You want to put forth all this work and then hand them over to the world? Or do we want to keep them? And we want to keep them so, so, so tight to the scriptures that when they do go into the world, because I know they're going to go there. I'm not telling you you can tie them up and keep them in the, in the closet at home. That's illegal. Like that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. Right? But what I'm telling you is this is when they do go into the world, they are so founded and equipped in the way you've trained them that they know how to handle it. And they're not blown off their, off their socks and stuff, right? This guy, Ahaz, chapter 16, look at verse 10. Let me read 10 real quick. King Ahaz went to Damascus. To me, he went to an area he wasn't even supposed to go to. Kings from this area didn't even go to this other area. But he went. And when he went, it says that he saw the altar that was in Damascus. And it blew his mind. Because I, I think there, you read this in Chronicles as well, the parallel chapter for you note takers. We're not going to go into it. Second Chronicles 28. And, 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 and you read this and you get it all together. And it says that he saw this altar. It was so beautiful and the blessings behind it and how blessed this king was in this other area. So he sent and got a model of the altar and the complete plans to, to, to construct it and make it just like theirs. And it breaks my heart because it says that he sent it to Uriah the priest. Now, in Isaiah, before this moment, you got to get all your timeline. Remember, there's a lot of books written during this timeline together. And Isaiah, it said that Uriah was awesome. But something happened from Uriah being awesome to this. Because as Mike just read, a few, a few verses later, he's going to make this thing. Because what happens then is the same thing that happens now. You get a corrupt government, then you start corrupting the churches. I'd love to be wrong, but I'm not. The more corrupt the government gets, the easier it is for them to corrupt the leaders in the church. And they just feed off each other. So there's nobody keeping any in check. Right? Now it's just destruction all around. This guy, like many immature Christians... He was lured by the world. He was deceived by prosperity. We see so much and we think people got this, that we need to be doing whatever they did to get it. No, not all the time. Right? That's what brought his downfall. And here's the thing that, that, that blows my mind. I know we've all been there, so it's easier now to look back at it. Why do we get closer to the ones that lead us to fall? This guy goes and gets close to his enemy who's going to destroy him. And, and I know I'm talking because I hung out with idiots back in school, too. I was one of the idiots that other people was hanging out with during school, right? But here's the, why do we hang out with people that's going to lead us to destruction? Don't look at me like you don't do it because we all did it, right? Stay away from them. Why would you hang out with people who's going to lead you to failure? Would you go in the ocean and hug a shark? Would you jump in the river and hug an alligator? No, 
That's essentially what we're doing. Man, you're doing something that's harming you. Maybe you should work on getting away from that. Maybe now that you're going to the next floor, you should leave some people on the other floor and not elevate them to your next floor with you. And that might be some of the greatest advice you could get. Right? Or if they follow you there, then you better go to another floor. And another floor. You better keep the praise coming so you got the power coming so you keep on working to the next level, next level, next level. Right? Man, stay away from people that are leading you to trouble. That one's like a guideline to success for free. I don't even know what number we're on. Right? He looked at this guy and he said, man, that guy's cool. That guy's smart. That guy's a conqueror. That guy leads him to destruction. He, he, he's ruined after this, right? It, it's kind of like a kid who wants to be friend with a bully. A bully isn't friendly by nature. Why, why would you want to be, right? Beware of making, not, not beware of hanging out with lost people. Hear me right. Beware of making lost people your best friends. Lost people don't care about your eternal welfare. They don't care about your character development. They don't care about your future. John 10.10, 10, it says that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's bent on harming you. He wants to destroy you. He hates that you're successful. And Ahaz fell into the trap of imitating this guy from another kingdom because he admired him so much. And he reproduced in the temple at Jerusalem the same thing. He's imitating the ungodly. Man, please stop imitating the ungodly. He envied prosperity. That's his biggest problem. Here's the warning. Be careful that what you envy and what you're willing to do to get it. Because there's going to come a moment where you realize that the cost wasn't worth whatever you had to pay to get what you wanted so bad. The righteous, it says, they have to walk straight and narrow, right? God says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father must not be in him. Meaning, what's the number one thing you can love that right here? You just love God's word. It'll give you guidelines for everything else. And he's straight up telling you, he goes, yeah, there's going to be some, sorry, there's going to be some things you don't get to do. There's going to be some times you got to say no. God, God had a plan to bless this, this King Ahaz, but he wrecked it, man. He wrecked it. Why? Because he put a value ahead of God. He got hungry. And, and that, that's the thing that blows my mind. Sometimes we get so hungry for the things of this world that don't satisfy us. Ask an addict how many hits is enough. None. One more. That's it. They'll tell you. I need one more. Ask an alcoholic, how many drinks is enough? The next one. And the next one. And the next one. And it ain't got to be bad. Ask somebody who loves speed. How fast is fast enough? <laughs> ain't no such thing, bro, right? I love me some speed. Huh? Ask a weightlifter, how, how much weight's enough to lift? A couple more pounds. Just a little bit more. Man, they get, they get so precise when you get to that upper, upper, upper level where they start adding on half pounds. That's how serious they are. Don't think about it. Man, it gets so bad. Isaiah chapter seven, same time frame, same time frame. God sends Isaiah to Ahaz. And this is awesome. You would think he's going to rebuke him, right? We just talked about how bad he's messed things up and what's going on. He, he doesn't rebuke him. He, he sends assurance. God says this to him. And read Isaiah chapter seven, a little bit of eight tonight as well, man. You got a lot of reading to do, right? Don't be afraid. Trust in me. Stand firm in your faith. I can deliver you. From man's point of view, what Mike just read, when Aram and Israel get together, that's a big problem. They can destroy Judah. That's two powerhouses coming together, right? In Isaiah chapter 7, though, here's what he says in verse 4. I love it. This is God's point of view. So you got man's point of view. Two guys teaming up, going to destroy you, right? God's point of view comes in and he says this. They're just two smoldering stubs of firewood about to be extinguished. What? Right? God's about to put the fire hydrant on them, man. Yeah. God says they're nothing, man. They're just firewood. We can get overwhelmed by what we see, but if we stand firm and trust in the Lord, his view is not our view. And God's so honest at the same time as well, man, with his assurance. Verse 9, Isaiah 7, verse 9. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. You, you that stood up and you go into the next level, and, and, and maybe some of you that are graduating I don't even know about. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you're not going to stand at all. If you compromise, you're going to fall. If you're willing to, to surrender your values, you're going to pay for it. But this is the grace of God. 
because this guy's given up on God, yet God's not giving up on him. This, this is his past due bill, I guess you could call it. This is electric bill coming in for Katie. You miss the bill, I'm going to give you an opportunity right here to pay it. And this unrelenting God, he doesn't even stop here, man. He goes, he goes even further, 10 through 12. Again, Yahweh spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign. How, how, how faithful and awesome is God? Where he says this, let me keep reading it. If you are struggling in your faith, ask for a sign. He's kind of like referring back to Gideon here. Remember the fleece test? And he's telling, he goes, if you're struggling in your faith, I just want you to ask me for a sign. If you find it hard to trust me, ask me for a sign. God is saying, I want to help you in your unbelief. But here's what I figured out. And the men, we got off on a little thing uh, Wednesday night about um, faith. I think it was this Wednesday or last Wednesday, one of the two in this chapter, about defining faith. What is faith? And we come up with all these cool sounding things. Here's what I really figured out the while I was sitting there listening. Not that anything said was wrong or, or anything like that. Sometimes I don't know if it's the faith we need as much as it's the willingness to surrender to the faith and trust that we need. That makes sense. Because if you're not willing, it doesn't really matter. If you're not willing to trust God, it doesn't matter what God shows you. If you're not willing to be faithful, it doesn't matter how much faith he gives you. Maybe we've been praying the wrong prayer. Maybe it's not God make me faithful and God make me strong and God give me. God make, maybe it's that God just make me willing. Help me be willing to do whatever it is I need to do to get to the next level. He, he refused, though. Listen to his reply. This is, this is what kind of broke my heart when I read Isaiah verse 12. I'm like, yeah, God's going to get him back, right? Like we didn't know the whole story in Kings and it's about to come full loop, right? Verse 12, but Ahaz said, I will not ask. Can you imagine God telling you, look, man, if you just need a sign, ask me and I'll throw it out there for you. But you're so unwilling that you just, at least he's honest, I guess, right? But he says, I'm not even going to ask. I'm not even going to ask because I've already made it my decision. I'm going to do it my way. When you've made a decision to do it your way, you've already messed you up. I don't know if you guys have seen Gridiron Gang. I'm a good movie guy, right? Gridiron Gang, when the rock cracks down, he goes, your way got you here. It's like prison for kids, right? He goes, it was your way that got you here. My way is now what's in control. That's like God speaking sometimes. I think God will just look at us and tell us, your way got you where you're at. Now, if you just follow my way, I will show you the way. But too many of us are like Ahaz and we say, I'm not even going to ask. Look at his first, go back to 2 Kings 16. His first words when he gets to this, this king of Syria says, I'm your servant and your vessel. Come and save me. He starts off the whole thing being willing to surrender. He never wants God as a savior. He wants them. Your very beginning of the next stage, graduates, is vital. How you act your first week at work, how you act your first month at school, how you treat your roommates, sweet mates, teachers, and so forth, will make a drastic difference on how the rest of it goes. Right? Think about it. The first weeks started all his, his very first thing was to just surrender. And it gave him a peace of mind, which just blows my mind, right? But what I love is God didn't abandon him. God never gave up on him. He gave up on God. He refuses to return to God, even though God sent him a, a past due bill. He's like, look, man, we need to get this thing uh, worked out so that I don't have to cut your power off. But he was determined to do it his own way. A willingness to have faith in God and a willingness to trust God is what we need. Are we willing to give ourselves the chance to experience the truth of what God says? Just a chance. I think God's prepared to give us so many signs if we'd submit. But like Ahaz, we don't want to submit. What you submit to determines your future success or failure. You, you, you heard Mike reading, this guy's got no kingdom. He's got nothing. He loses it quick. He dies fast. He's so, he's so weak at the end, it says that I ain't even going to write nothing else about him. You want to read something else about him? Go find another book to read. That's the writer of Kings and his attitude at the end. And I'm not just talking to grads. I'm talking to all of us about what we need to be aware of. Submitting and compromising out of fear. That's what he was afraid. Why do we let fear control us? Here's another guideline to success. What are we on, 3.5? 3.5, face your fears. 2 Timothy 1.7. I love the way Paul writes this. For God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. The Bible is so full of like fear knots, right? 
I go back to Timothy because Tim- Timothy wasn't much younger than you guys graduated. We estimate Timothy could have been a late teenager, early 20s at the oldest. So I read a lot of Timothy and Titus because, like, being a pastor that started at that age, like, I, I had to get a whole lot of advice. Right? But this young pastor, he's a pastor at the church of Ephesus, and the apostle Paul was his mentor, and he encourages him, right? And he writes him, he says, don't, don't you let him intimidate you because of your young age. Meaning this, if you're not going on to school and you're going on to the workforce, don't let him intimidate you because of your age. Stand strong. You're an adult now. You've made it. Stand strong in your faith. Stand strong in your practices, right? But Timothy was, he was afraid. He lacked self-confidence. Maybe him and Paul had like these pen pal letters going because like he's evidently had told Paul at some point like, man, I'm just so young. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can handle it. Like they, they're not going to look at me the right way. They're not going to respect me the right way, right? And in the second letter to Timothy, Paul says, man, I had just told you in the first letter not to, not to let them despise your youth, but I totally forgot what you really needed. It wasn't just words of don't let them despise your youth. It was this, that the cowardness of this life did not come from God's spirit. Meaning this, he's writing me, he says, man, I, I forgot in the first letter, and I just told you, like, don't let them look down on you. But in the second letter, I'm going to make sure you get it. They don't get to look down on your youth because you're a believer. And if you're a believer, the spirit of God is inside of you. And if the spirit of God is inside of you, he did not give you a spirit of fearfulness, but he gave you one of that power, that love, and that judgment. When we trust in Jesus as our Savior, the Holy Spirit comes in, he reigns in our life, and it gives us such comfort to eliminate fears. So, so much so that, that we can do what life demands, that we can love when others hate, that under control we can handle ourselves when the wind comes against everybody else. That's what it's talking about with that power, love, and sound judgment. Max Lucado has a, a quote that says, Fear doesn't want you to make the journey to the mountain. If it can rattle you enough, fear will persuade you to take your eyes off the peaks and settle for a dull existence in the flatlands. Why would you want to settle in the flatlands when God's got such great things for you? All around. Right? Man. I don't, I don't know how many of you are going far away, but man, maybe that's going to be your fearful thing. First time away from mommy and daddy for a little while. You'll be all right. Right? Maybe, maybe some of you are going straight into work. Man, a job interview, that's traumatic. That's scary. Right? You're probably going to be working with people older than you. They're just as dumb as you, I promise. <laughs> straight up. I never, I never told you guys this, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you. Like when, when Pastor Tim stepped down 10 years ago and, and or almost 12 years ago now, and, and, and I stepped up, I, I called one of my youth professors at CSU and I said, man, I said, you trained me for youth ministry. Like what? What in the world am I going to do with a bunch of adults every week? He goes, man, they're just older youth. Roll with it. You guys are just older youth, right? Roll with it. Maybe it's going to be not having friends go with you. That's devastating, man. Your friends are your backbone sometime, right? Whatever it is, God says this, I haven't given you a spirit of fear. I've given you one of power, love, and sound judgment. It means this, wherever you're at, wherever you're going, fear's not the thing that controls you. It's my power. It's love. Loving God, loving others. And he also says, I've given you, I've given you the spirit of discernment. That's sound judgment. I've given you this little thing that's going to be in the back of your head. It's not just your mom's voice. It's God's voice. And he's saying, don't do that, you moron. And you should listen to that voice. Because if you don't listen to it, you're going to get some bad outcomes. Right? God's willing to move you from fear to confidence if you'll live courageously this way. I'm going to fly through the last two, I promise. Number four. Oh, we still got ten minutes. I need to go slower. Yeah. Right? I want y'all getting out early. You're going to give the Lord his two hours. Right? Number four, guideline to success. Forget your failures. How many adults failed at something? The rest of them are lying. Look around, youth. Revelation says liars go to hell. There's two groups going to hell today. You know what I'm saying? We've had fails. Now, how many of you young people have had failure? Your failure doesn't determine you. You know what I'm saying? Failure doesn't determine you. Here's what scripture says. This ain't just a, I'm not talking about a motivational speech. I'm talking about what God says. Forget your failures. Philippians chapter three. Most of you guys only read this at New Year's, by the way. I'm serious. You laugh. Wait till we read it. You'll read it. Oh, I read that for New Year's. Yeah, it was in my little Bible lab. Yeah, you should read it more often. Right? Fits for graduates. Paul's in prison, by the way. Got it, got it overseas. 
He's in prison. He's chained to like this big old hairy, sweaty, nasty Roman soldier. That's the way I picture the Roman soldiers. That's how he's got to look, right? Probably really poor conditions. And here's what he writes. Philippians 3, uh, 12 through 14 is where I'm going to start. But that I've already attained this. What is the this? That is that I've not already been per, uh, perfected. But what's it talking about? I've been made like Christ in every way. But I strive to lay hold of that for which Jesus Christ also laid hold of me. Verse 13. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself to obtain, obtain what? This level of maturity. Instead, I am single-minded, forgetting the things that are behind. That's good because Paul made a lot of mistakes. He would have had to put up his hands, feet, and everything else when I asked just now who's made mistakes, right? Including killing Christians and a bunch of other stuff. And he goes on and says, and reaching out for the things that are ahead. Verse 14, here it is. With this goal in mind, I strive toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul's enrolled in Christ-likeness university, guys. I mean, that's really what that is. He's preparing himself to live like Christ. And he makes two implications when he gets to this stage. And the first one is this. I refuse to allow failures to become destructive in this life. They're going to be my stepping stones. They're going to be the floor for the next level. That's what he's saying. Number two, he refuses to allow failures to beset his journey to his goal. What he says is this. He goes, yeah, I got bumped off, but I'm going to get back on. You know, he ain't driving no Chevrolet. When he gets off the road, he's going to get back on the road by climbing up on it. You know what I'm saying? Like, like he says, I, I'm not going to allow the past failures to change this journey and the goal I've got going. And here's the secret. Say, man, how's he going to do that? He puts his past behind him. Why? Because he's going to have a positive mental attitude of remembering what Christ said about him. Yeah, there's going to be failures. Yeah, none of you are perfect. Yeah, you're going to do things wrong. Sure. Right? Matter of fact, you can say it this way. The only ones who never do anything wrong are the ones who never do anything. Maybe I should repeat that because that's pretty good, right? The only ones who never do anything wrong are the ones who never do anything. I'm serious, though. Think about it. See, you ought to amen. That's right. If it's good, say so. That's what Scripture said, right? Think about it, though. We all know Babe Ruth for what? Everybody. Most of them runs. You know what else he's got? Just as many strikeouts. Right? We, we know these people for their, for their success, but what we don't know is what they had to go through to get to that success. You know what I'm saying? Michael Jordan got to a stage where he had to get cut from basketball team to go on to be what? Now you say LeBron James and I'll punch you in the face, but the greatest basketball player of all time. Yes, we can fight after it after church if you don't believe it, right? How about that for Christianity? Yeah. Right? What Paul is saying is it's not a matter of if you're going to fail, it's when you fail. You are going to fail. There's going to be problems, and it's a good thing. Because these failures are something you're going to learn from. They're going to equip you for the next thing, right? What you can't do, please understand, what you can't do is allow failure to make you quit trying. I was reading a, a thing, talking about graduates the other day, and it was this some neuroscience guy. He had three grades in one of his doctorate classes. And he did really good on the first one, so he got kind of lazy on the second one, and he made a 48. I won't give you his name in case you ever need neuro neurological surgery. You don't, you, don't, you don't want the guy who made a 48 doing surgery on you, right? But, but his advisor talked to him, and he said, look, you've only got one more test in this class, and, and, and if you don't make a 94 on this test, you're going to fail the class. That's just to get to passing now, right? So they, they tried to advise him, man, you need, you need to just drop out of this class. Call it quits. Take it again next semester. You know, count your loss and learn from it. He refused to give up. He refused to give up. He spent the whole rest of the semester studying. Made a 96 on the final test. So, yeah, he passed. So now he can do surgery on your brain. Right? But that's awesome, though, because he refused to give up. We, we, we've become a nation of such weak-minded people sometimes that when something gets hard, it's not so easy, and mom and dad ain't spoon-feeding you no more, you just want to quit and give up. You walk off, you pout, you throw a little temper tantrum. I laugh at my kids when they do that in a mean way. You know what I'm saying? Like I forget about the verse that says, fathers, don't stir anger. I poke the bear. Now, that might be right and that might be wrong. But we're going to train them to be successful and not be quitters and not give up. I think there's a stage in our spiritual walks where we need that same thing, though. We need some poking to toughen us up just a little bit. You know what I'm saying? I think I think if if the kings before 
Ahaz are good, not to go back into it completely, but if the kings before in this chapter would have gotten some poked in the sides to toughen them up a little bit, maybe Ahaz would have knew better and he wouldn't have surrendered at the very end and hit rock bottom. But we let generation after generation after generation after generation after generation get that phrase of, he did all right, but. I'm sick of that. I'm sick of it just being all right, but. I want, I want, I want people to look back at, at the church and be like, man, that church shook the world upside down. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I want, I want to go back to Acts chapter six. You, you guys need something good to read. If you don't like reading that Old Testament stuff, I gave you a minute to go for homework, which you should read, by the way. I'm not telling you not to. But you go to Acts chapter six and these first disciples, they're, they're flipping, they're flipping the script on some stuff, right? And there's this guy who's a leader and he's really mad. And he says, where are these guys? Here's what he says. Awesome quote. Where are these guys that are turning the world upside down? He was looking for two guys that were flipping the world upside down in his mind about what they believed and what they did. God says, I just need two of you. I just need two of you to pay your power bill so we can flip the world upside down. You know what I'm saying? But I don't want it to be two of them. I wonder how mad the rest of the disciples were. Maybe they not like me, but I'm telling you right now, I'd have been furious. If my name wasn't listed on those two guys, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, oh man, maybe that was the whole point. Maybe God knew it. We don't get the whole story, right? So maybe what happens after that is the rest of the disciples say, they didn't list my name and flipping the world upside down. I'm about to turn it on too, right? Maybe it's some positive motivation. Huh? I'm going to turn it up and I'm going to get crazy on it and I'm going to do something wild. They asked them, they said, man, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to stop using the name Christ. You can still keep on doing good. I just want you to stop using the name Christ. They said, we can't do that. They said, we can't do that. And they said, but you don't understand. If you don't do that, we're going to kill you. Right? So dude says this, and this is the same word I swear to you. It's so awesome. Right? He uses the word for addiction like a drug addict. He says, you don't understand. We're addicted to this stuff. He's he's talking about like tying one off, tapping the vein, and sticking a needle in it. Like he's so addicted, he's got to get that Holy Spirit in him, right? And if you tie anything off and tap a vein, I will punch you. You know what I'm saying? Like that is your no-no. Guideline to success. Don't tie one off. Don't tap a vein. Don't drink or smoke anything they give you that you don't know what's in it, right? Parents will be mad if I gave that illustration and didn't give that disclaimer. So there you have it, right? But that's the word they use, though, guys. It's so awesome. I love it. They're straight up saying, like, I like I got to have more. Do you understand addiction? Don't shout it out loud, please. Think about what you're addicted to. And don't tell me nothing, because you're a liar. I don't care if it's TV. I don't care if it's Amazon. I don't care if it's shopping. I don't care if it's yard sales. I don't care if it's food, soda, Coca-Cola, cigarettes, nicotine gum, whatever it is. You're addicted to something, right? Only thing you can be at. No, I ain't going to go there. I'm getting trouble. Never mind. Sorry, I had to get it out of here, right? You're addicted to something. Think, think about what that means. That means you're never satisfied just to have a little bit of it. Could you imagine getting to the stage in your walk with Christ where you had followed what Moses gave the advice to these guys going into the promised land and you had followed the advice of the good part of the kings and not the butt part of the kings and you got to a stage where when somebody asked you to stop doing something for Jesus, all you could say is, man, I'm addicted to it, man. You don't understand. Like, I got to have it. I got to preach. I got to tell people Jesus loves them. I just got to go crazy, right? What could we turn the world into if that was our attitude? We wouldn't have a secular college because we'd be sending these kids out to colleges and they'd be turning all of them into Christian universities. I mean, serious. Think about it. You know my favorite scene from, from, from Facing the Giants? If you hadn't seen it, you ought to watch it. It's great. Yes, it's a corny Christian movie, but it's wonderful, right? They've got all this great scene. It's all this football. And everybody's favorite scene is the guy toting the guy on his back across the field. You know, my favorite scene is not even that, though. My favorite scene is that this revival gets started at this school. And, and when it pans out and it shows all these pictures, you got kids in the hallway. you got kids on the ball field. you got kids in the stands. you got kids at the track. you got kids in the classroom. you got kids everywhere just studying scripture. And I look at that scene and I'm like, what would it take? What would it take to get our world like that? What if you pulled into the tire shop and we left your vehicle on the rack and we just had a Bible study? You know why it's sitting there. Jeremiah's thinking it would drive you nuts because you like to get them out as fast as you can. But it would be a Bible study time, right? Think about it. How awesome would it be if we just did that everywhere we went? Flipping the world upside down, man, right? Last one. Last one. Number five, above all else, 
follow your faith. Hebrews chapter 12. And please understand this about the book of Hebrews. I'm trying to catch you guys up so you know what each of these books are since we're not going verse by verse. But Hebrews chapter 12, you got a book of Hebrews. It's written to believers, to believers who are struggling. They're wavering in their devotion to Christ. They're admitting they've got some problems and they're failing at them, right? Hard times have hit them. Here's what he writes. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, what does he tell them? You guys listen up and hear their voices. Look around today. You might not know, it, but you're surrounded by a great crowd. Not cloud, because we ain't dead. We're still alive, right? So a great crowd of witnesses. We want to cheer you on. We want to go crazy for you. We want you to make it to the next level and the next level and the next level so that when you get to the peak level, we can mooch off your success and also live. All right. Hear their voices. We must get rid of every weight and sin that clings so closely. Listen up. What's he saying? You got to clear out your clutter and run with endurance the race that's set out before us. What's he saying? Following your faith is <laughs> it's not a hopscotch game, right? You got to have some endurance. Verse two. Keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set up for him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat on the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, thank for him who endured such opposition against himself by sinners, so that you may not grow weary in your souls and give up. What's he saying? Your Christian reference point is Christ. Sure, you're going to have to be flexible and you have to pray about when, where, and how to be flexible. But when it comes to ultimate issues, you got to stay true to Christ. His teachings. Don't budge. Right? That's your focal point. Apollo 13, I don't know if you guys remember, they showed it in the movie a little bit too. But 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 in the, the original Apollo 13, the actual mission, things that had broke with the motor and, and things that quit. and I don't know how much it must suck to be in space. Billions and billions and trillions of miles away. And your motor to quit working. Like that just seems like a really bad day, right? But these guys, they kept the focus. And one of them said, man, if we can take that one motor and, and just, just shoot enough power, he's looking through this one window and all he can see is earth. Sometimes you just need to look out that one window and that focal point. Hopefully it's Christ. If not, you're in trouble. And, and he said, I was able to just look out the one window and keep, keep an intense lock on that dot, knowing what that dot was. Sometimes all you're going to get is a dot. But that dot is going to be a remember a, a memory of what Christ did for you. And then that dot gets bigger the closer you get to it. And then it gets bigger the closer you get to it. And I pray that we've done a good enough job as a church. Your parents have done a good enough job. Teachers have done a good enough job. That we've equipped you enough to at least have the dot when you look out the window. And that will draw you to get closer and closer and closer and closer again. Because you're about to enter a world where distraction is going to be twice as high. Your first year away from home, your focus is going to be so important. Remove the obstacles, get tied to a local church, jump into a campus ministry, find something that's going to help you navigate life. If you're going into work, find the right people to hang out with, not the wrong ones. You found enough idiots to hang out with in high school. Now it's time to start hanging out with real adults. Remember there are those that have gone before you, as Paul says, and they're your witnesses cheering you on. Guidelines for success, man. Face. Your fears. Forget your failures. Follow your faith. Stop compromising and be grateful. Stop compromising and be grateful. A grateful attitude will go such a long way. I, I want anybody who's graduating to come up to the altar and take a knee for me. I believe what scripture said and scripture said there's power and laying on of hands. In preparing people for the next thing God's got for them. So as they come up, if you feel led, I want you to come pray over them. Lay hands on them. Think about their families. The strength they're going to need and whatnot. But here's their last thing of advice, and for us as well. Stop remembering what the world says about you. And cling to what he says about you. This last song, right? You say, God, what do you say about me? And when you start living by what God says about you, what the rest of the world says won't matter. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this morning. 
God, I thank you for this time. We can dive into your word, Lord. We can worship you. We can be challenged by your scripture. We can be challenged by other people in this room, Lord God. And God, not just for every soul in here, Lord God, but I pray. Special, Lord God, for the families of these graduates, for these graduates. For their friendships. For their ties. And above all else, Lord God, for their ultimate relationship with you. Lord, I pray something special happen over the next few minutes. God, I pray they get a special anointing. An anointing, Lord God, that will not run out, that will not run void. Lord God, an anointing that will last them for whatever the next stage is that you have for every single one of them. God, we're going to give you praise so that the power bill gets paid, Lord. Because they need power, Lord God, for where they're going. For getting there and for busting through, Lord God, and getting to the next one and the next one. God, I thank you so much for what you have done, what you're going to do. Your great and holy name. Amen.